Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. New Mexico put an end to nearly all of its COVID-related restrictions last July, and in the months that followed, the emphasis on the new school year that started in August was that kids should be going to school in person. But now, six months into the school year with a fast-spreading Omicron variant, schools across New Mexico are finding that staying in the classroom is easier said than done. Staffing shortages caused by a surge in the more contagious variant are a big reason for that. In January, Santa Fe schools, for example, they sent students back to remote learning, not only because there were a lot of COVID cases among students, but also lots of teachers out sick with COVID. And at the end of January as well, Rio Rancho schools announced a shift to full remote learning and no in-person classes for a little over a week. Rio Rancho and Cleveland High Schools as well as Puesta del Sol Elementary and Shining Stars Preschool are going virtual from this Friday through next Friday. As of Tuesday, February 8th, the day that you're probably hearing this podcast, those schools should be back to in-person learning, but this whole school year once again hasn't been without a lot of disruption. On the line with us today to talk about some of those challenges is Rio Rancho Schools Superintendent Dr. Sue Cleveland, as well as Mariah Affentranger, the Student Support Services Director who oversees COVID for the district. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you for the invitation. And yes, it's been an interesting year. Absolutely. And and first off, Dr. Cleveland, I, I wanted to start with you. March will mark the start of year three of the pandemic. Throughout this whole thing, I'm really struck by just how much school districts have had to change their response. Of course, the amount of debate and at times hostility that's gone into a lot of the decisions surrounding these changes. Ultimately, though, you know, as a school district, your goal is, of course, to make for good student outcomes. How would you describe this current school year? Well, I, you know, we thought the school year was going to be an easier year. I mean, we really did. We went at thinking, you know, we're going to turn the corner on the pandemic. It's going to be an easier year. Uh, it's turned out to be a more difficult year than even the previous one. And and you're right. We've dealt with a tremendous amount of change, the need to be flexible. Um, moving those four schools back to uh, remote learning was a really hard decision to make. Um, but But we had to because we didn't have sufficient staff, not just teachers, but custodians and other important support personnel to be able to operate the building safely uh, and efficiently. So it is, uh, it's just, it is continual change and uh, trying to adapt to whatever situations we, we are in. Um, the, uh, uh, the returning to remote for one week for those four schools uh, will give us a chance to hopefully break the chain of infection and also to be able to get in there and get those buildings really cleaned. Uh, one of the challenges you have is you want the buildings to be clean so you don't spread the infection. Uh, but when you're running 20, 30 percent of your custodial staff out, that's really hard to do. So uh, a lot of challenges. It has been a harder year. I think in the first year we were just also focused on how to make it work and the problem solving. And I think in the second year we're just dealing with maybe t- fatigue, COVID fatigue. People are tired. Um, and they want this thing to be over. And so maybe there's been a little less grace given uh, among people uh, in the sense that uh, they, they just want this thing to be finished and done. 
You mentioned the lack of staff available. In some cases, it's teachers, but in other cases, it's support staff to be able to help run the schools. I know one of the big messages from the state level was the governor launching that new program, streamlining substitute teachers to get into schools to help where there are at least teaching shortages. So why wouldn't we take the whole of government, pay all of the fees, waive all of the non-safety, like background checks and the trainings for students, and make it easy for state employees to step into that situation. Has Rio Rancho at this point jumped in on that new program? Yes, we have. And uh, certainly with regards to substitutes, we've been short. We've also been short drivers. We've been short a lot of different positions. And we really welcome the governor's uh, thought to uh, help out with guardsmen and state employees. So we have made our uh, um, our request known to the state. We asked for 150. Uh, so far, we've gotten six. And uh, uh, but we are just pleased. Uh, the governor made the decision to send the guard to rural areas and to send state employees to the more urban areas. And so uh, the group that we've been talking with are state employees, and we're delighted to have them come and be part of our district. That's interesting that you said, I'm, well, I'm hearing from, you know, not just Rio Rancho schools, but just in the community, it seems like overall the sentiment is this year has been more challenging in different ways. Not sure anyone really anticipated that, but I wanted to ask you, you know, even with the CDC shortening the standard quarantine period from 10 days to five days, some schools are really dealing with COVID-related illnesses, waiting along time for test results to come back. Reading from your news release, you wrote, quote, many of our employees who are out due to COVID-19 symptoms are waiting on test results that now have a longer turnaround time as we have to use lab testing. So first, I I wanted to ask you, why is it that you have to use lab testing? It sounds like you're not using home testing or, you know, why is a home rapid test, for instance, insufficient? Let me make a quick comment and I'm gonna turn it over to Mariah because she's definitely our expert in this area. Uh, We were holding our own really well until we saw the shortage of tests because people were going and they were getting tested and it was either go home, you're sick or go back to work. And um, so you're right, people are waiting days and sometimes um, don't even get the test results back. So that was really the beginning of, of really a breakdown in the system. And uh, up until that point, when we had sufficient tests, we were really holding our own. The PED actually requires a, it's a rapid PCR, which would be so preferable for us. And those, when we first started and had our testing site open, we were getting those results within one to two hours, the rapid PCR, but then we ran out, the state ran out. So we had to move to the lab PCRs. And for our testing site, the turnaround time went to five plus days. So that just meant that staff who were ill, who had some COVID symptoms and were tested, and then the staff members started to feel better. We just didn't have those results back. So they just needed to continue to stay home until we could get their results back, which ran into one to two to five days. So that's where the testing piece came in. And the home rapids were not unacceptable. The PED let us know that was not what we could use. At this point, they've changed some of their tune on that in terms of the home testing, but we just follow what the PED toolkit gives us to go by. 
Gotcha. So quick follow up on that, because we've heard that message sort of was emphasized from the Department of Health, you know, that we should be using more at home rapid tests, but that then it's kind of confusing when you hear, oh, well, wait, the schools have to use this PCR test. Why is that you think? And it's a little confusing, I guess. Well, the PCR, the most reliable, so you get the best results with those tests. The home test, kind of just like everything else, um, can be not as reliable because there's so much kind of human error in those. So we've really had great results when we've used our testing site in partner with the Department of Health, the PED, to get those good results back for our staff and our students. Our students were, have been staying home two longer periods than they have in the past because of the lack of those rapid PCR tests. Do you think the PED is... Um I don't want to really start a war, I guess, so to speak, between the school district and PED, but but really, are they listening and hearing you out and being flexible enough and making changes based on the situation that's at hand? I would say absolutely. We have a great relationship with the PED and the Department of Health. They have been so supportive. When we have questions, they answer them quickly. They respond to our needs. They've actually, just this week, relieved some of the burden on our school nurses in terms of reporting and on our administrators. You know, there's a lot of steps we have to take in order to report staff and student positive tests. And they've been great about kind of letting some of those requirements go because they know how overburdened our staff is. With regards to the public ed department, I think they've worked very hard to try to listen to us and the shortage of tests, they have absolutely nothing to do with that. Uh, it's just a shortage nationally and uh, it's been hard to get them out to the districts. All of the superintendents in New Mexico meet every Thursday with the secretary. Much of that conversation has been related to COVID. And I think they've listened to those concerns and tried very hard. They just don't have a lot of good options sometimes either. And the other is, which is completely new for public schools. Uh, much of the decisions that are impacting public schools are not coming from PED, but are coming from the Department of Health. So we have a whole new player in terms of the discussion, in terms of the decision making, in terms of, of what it is we're, we're, we're doing. So we're dealing with DOH, we're dealing with PED, and then dealing with the needs of our own individual communities. And, and that is challenging, but we meet very regularly every week with the secretary. And uh, I would say on any given week, probably two thirds of the questions that we have for them relate to COVID related issues. This is a question speaking a little bit more towards how much COVID has changed the staffing element for schools here. Also mentioned in the district's recent announcement shifting to that remote learning, there was a note in there about the use of substitute teachers and other staff having to cover classrooms during prep time. Also things like combining large class spaces into gymnasiums. All of this being said, how dire is the staffing shortage right now for Rio Rancho schools? We certainly have had a, a higher percentage of folks out by, you know, significantly higher um, than we have had in the past. And so um, it, it has impacted uh, some of our buildings. We just simply don't have enough people that we can assign a, a person in charge of every class. And when you mentioned, you know, grouping kids together in gyms and uh, I had reached out to one of the epidemiologists from Presbyterian and, you know, I said that that's um, that's obviously not a very good thing to do. Omicron is very contagious. And so uh, putting groups of classes together um, maybe uh, solves the uh, supervision problem, but it doesn't help with the infection problem and in fact makes that worse. So. Uh, that's not something that uh, we we really wanted to be able to continue to do. 
uh, the staffing shortage has, has been so severe at some buildings, it would not have been safe to keep them open um, because of uh, the lack of adequate supervision. Another thing I would want to add with regards to that is we've had people out of the district office that are going and trying to help and to fill those gaps as well as hopefully uh, the state bringing some in with um, state employees. So everyone's pitched in and trying to make it work, but you get to a point where it just won't work. And, uh, and, and we want to be sure that our buildings are safe uh, and that we have adequate supervision and that we are not putting large numbers of students all in one place. Um, not only is that not good for infection, but honestly, it's not real good for instruction. And so what um, you end up in, in doing that are, are less than uh, high quality lessons. So uh, looking at the pros and cons, uh, the, the feeling was to take that short break, would be getting better instruction through remote learning than we would have been getting in that other environment. That being said, you know, throughout the whole pandemic, uh, Rio Rancho has been a strong advocate for in-person learning, and we're still a strong advocate for in-person learning, but we may have to take some very short breaks uh, when we are faced with those kinds of situations. Is it fair to say at this point, yeah, all the staffing shortages in that situation is all related to COVID? No. And, and I think, um, you know, we, we have a national shortage of teachers. We had it long before COVID hit. COVID has exacerbated that. Um, our colleges of education, um, very low enrollment, and that's been that's been a long term development. And uh, so we've got to really rethink, I think, completely how we're going to staff our classrooms in the future. But it's just simply made it uh, it's made it worse. Um, I can share something that we are doing in Rio Rancho to try to deal with that. And uh, we've started in collaboration with our union. Um, a teacher intern program and really encouraging people who think they might like to be teachers and have degrees in something else. We have a program where you can come in and you can actually be paid as a teacher and you will be assigned across the district in different roles. You take on duties, uh, you'll be a teacher, but it, it gives people an opportunity to see if they really might like to do teaching. So that's something that we've, we've implemented to try and, uh, and, and deal with the shortfall. But we have a real lack of uh, students entering into public education. And I believe it's going to be a crisis, not only for New Mexico, but across the country. That's what we're seeing. Mariah, I had a question for you. I understand it's your job to oversee COVID for the district. What does that mean exactly? Who would have thought this would ever be a position that you would need to? Yeah, I saw <laughs> your bio said district. counselor and then, but your job is like to oversee COVID. So yeah, what is it that you do? I worked as a school counselor for many years. This is my first year at the district office. Um, so I oversee the the testing site. So the testing site that's provided through the DOH and the PED. Uh, we oversee the tests for staff and students. I troubleshoot during the day a lot of different things with different schools. You know, when we see maybe a possible spread in a classroom, we will get together a group of support people and talk about kind of if we want to close down maybe just one class, obviously, versus an entire school. We've dealt with a lot of athletic COVID concerns. I talk to parents every day who have questions, who want to share kind of some of their suggestions for some things that they think would help and support the school district. I talk to principals and nurses every day because COVID is not really cut and dry. There's not a 
sort of a to-do manual. We've got a great toolkit, but we're always finding things that we question and and need some answers for. So that's that's what I do a lot of a lot of my day. I imagine the test to stay program has very much been in your purview here as well. I Um, oversee that too. Yes. (laughs) And and I wanted to ask you along those lines of how is it going? I mean, I know in our conversation, we've spoken a little bit about the shortages of testing, but, but just overall, you know, how has the test to stay program been working for the district? Well, maybe we should just clarify what it is. If you're unfamiliar, it's a program that New Mexico schools are participating in aimed to keep kids in class if they've been exposed so long as they can continue testing and present negative results, right? Yes, exactly. And we actually use it for our our students and our staff members. It allows our unvaccinated staff members to test and to continue to work in our classrooms too. So that's an awesome part of the program. It's worked great. We have a lot of families that have taken advantage of it. We have never, except for maybe one half of a day, ran out of rapid antigen tests. And those are the tests we need in order to continue our test to stay program. So we have utilized those with our families. We actually have our testing site personnel who will go out to a school if for some reason a a parent or guardian cannot take their student to our testing site. We can kind of come to them so the student can continue to stay in the classroom. The PED made it even more workable. This week we have three days we do test to stay which makes it a lot simpler than kind of we started. So it's improved as we've gone. And so I think a lot more students have been able to stay in class, which is a blessing because they don't want to go home. We don't want to send them home. So test to stay has really helped us keep them in class learning. Just to clarify again, uh, students can use the rapid antigen test for the test to stay program. If they've been exposed, get a result within 15 minutes and then go back to class, correct? Yes, absolutely. And staff too. But then staff has to use the rapid PCR tests as well. So no. So the antigen is for the test to stay. We use it for surveillance testing and close contact. The PCR, the lab and the rapid are for symptomatic students and staff. So when they have those COVID-like symptoms and we want to make sure that it's not COVID or if it is COVID that they need to start quarantining, that's where those PCR tests come in. Okay, got it. So this is a question for you, Dr. Cleveland. New Mexico as a whole doesn't have the best track record when it comes to education. I know there's a concern locally for how far behind kids are in this pandemic. And there's been an attempt to strike a balance between health and safety measures, along with mental health considerations for students. Do you believe the state's COVID-related protocols are at this point helping you guys in the classroom or do you think that anything needs to change at this point that we're at? I think for right now uh, we're pretty much where we we have had to be so um, I I do think that um, that that right now things are working fairly well and um, you know we want our students in class I think we really strongly believe that in-person learning for most students is the better way to go, and particularly for our younger students. And so even during the pandemic last year, uh, our elementary students were coming, whose parents would allow them to come, were coming four days a week because we saw the importance of that. 
We have tried to improve our, our remote learning opportunities for students as well. We have to understand and respect parent views. And if a parent feels very strongly they're not going to send their child back in, then, then we felt like we've got to provide an alternative. So uh, we started a new, um, a new um, virtual elementary this year called the Spark Academy to give parents that choice so that if they were not going to send their children back in person, we would have an opportunity for them to continue their learning. And the state supported that effort for us. So um, I, I think you know, we've had to balance what families want with what uh, the state requirements are. Uh, we are, we're, you know, I'm, I'm just going to say a little bit, we're, we're doing okay in Rio Rancho. We're trying very hard to deliver a, a really good quality program for our students. And, uh, but, but we do feel like that um, in-person learning is where we need to be. That seems to be the message coming out very loud and clear from the public ed education department. That being said, um, we have to respect parents who are not willing to do that and provide those options for those families and students as well. Um, and uh, so we've done that K through 12 and uh, we'll continue to look and, and monitor that. I don't know, you know, I, I kind of wonder if we won't be having to offer remote for a long time uh, for some families in order to be able to, to serve those families and, and their children. But um, we are fairly, cons I think we're pretty much in line with, with the current push to stay in person whenever we can. And we will stay in person, except when we feel like we can't operate the building safely. And in most cases that's due, as we've said, to staff shortages, as opposed to student infection rates. The other thing that I would add to that is, even though we now have some spread within our schools, the vast amount of spread is not coming from within our schools at all. They're coming from the external community into the school. So if that is the case, then it's another reason why it's really important to keep our schools open when we can. Uh, because in many cases, we think those students are safer from COVID in school than they may be uh, in other environments. I get a sense that part of keeping kids in school as well is is really the the help that it provides for families and maintaining their regularity of schedules and the regularity of their lives, so to speak. But we also know that in part came out of the last two years of the experience of families once again sort of struggling with those work and home schedules. And so we're at this point now where we we know how to make things easier, I think, for everybody in, in a sense. Um, there may be families out there, right, who still have multiple kids, even dealing with illnesses, uh, loss of schoolwork, um, the socialization issues that come with being removed from school. What is the message that you have for families who have dealt with that or who are still dealing with that type of stuff? We're trying very hard, as I said, to keep the schools open. I, I certainly have had parents say to me, you know, last year, um, my boss was was somewhat flexible in terms of my work uh, schedule, but this year they no longer are. And if you close schools and I can't go to work, I won't have a livelihood. And so we have tried to be very cognizant of that fact. And and uh, any closures, will, you know, like the ones we've had is a week. And we know that's terribly inconvenient. And we really agonized over that, but tried to balance the fact that we just simply didn't have the staff uh, to stay open. And so what I would say to families is always have an emergency plan, always have some place in the short, short term uh, where your children can continue to learn from home. We will try to keep that to an absolute minimum. And we do understand that. And of course, most 
many, many of our staff members or family uh, have have children too, and and their family is a challenge for them as well. And uh, so we, we're trying very hard to keep the schools open, to recognize that it's important for children to be in school. You mentioned one of the things that I think is just so important, but we certainly have seen the mental health needs of our students go up dramatically in the last two years. And so we have services that we can provide those children. We've seen some very tragic situations from social isolation. And so uh, we are committed to doing the very best that we can. And then the last, I guess I would say, is we need parents' help. Uh, we need your help in watching where your children go and what they do and uh, encouraging your children and your family to be careful as well uh, so that we can keep those absentee, uh, absentee um, numbers down. And so it, it is a collaborative effort and we all need to pull together as a community uh, we began to, again, you know, cut back on our large group uh, events in our district if they can't be virtual and started doing those extra precautionary things so that we hope we can get our numbers under control as quickly as possible. But we need their help and support as well. And um, I, every parent needs to have a plan for that short term break. Uh, and we will try not to do those except in the most serious uh, of situations. Dr. Cleveland, I had just one more question for you related to staffing, because, I, you, you know, you briefly mentioned at the uh, earlier in our discussion that there's a national shortage of teachers or people going into the profession. Why do you think that, that is? Well, I think there's a, a lot of things uh, that that impact that. Um, one is uh, certainly not the only one and maybe not even the most important one is compensation and uh, uh, education, I think, in the last several years has fallen behind. And so uh, we are very gratified about what appears to be a commitment from the executive and the legislative branch to improve compensation this this session, uh, looking at benefits as well. So I think that's certainly um, uh, an important thing. I think secondly, the um, increased demands that have been put on uh, teachers, uh, they don't just teach anymore. They do so many other things and it just seems like their plate is so full. And no matter how many hours a day you work, it's never enough. And I think in some cases, they, um, there's been frustration over watching the needs of children and lacking the support structure in, in the districts, but also in the community to meet the needs of those children and their families. And so people just burn out with the need. Um, and, and so we see some really good people sometimes leave uh, for that reason. And, and then the last is something we can all do something about. And that is, um, as I said, in the first year, it was, you know, people, I think, began to realize how very important teachers were. And the second year, as people were so tired, um, there just seemed to be a general disrespect uh, for authority in general, not just schools, but in, in other areas as well. And so you're working hard, you have a lot of, of challenges. And when you're not treated with courtesy and respect, um, people begin to reassess whether this is the field they want to be in. So I, I really hope that everyone will, will try to do their very best. We actually sent a letter out to parents saying, please do what you can to support your teachers because they are working very hard to meet the needs of your children. And together, we can do a better job if, if we are working together to meet those needs. So uh, those are just some of the things. I think it's, it's not one issue. But um, we have in this district, more teachers live midterm than have ever, ever left before. 
And I think they just said it's, it's just more than I could do. No matter how hard I work, can't get it all done. So um, I think that uh, the state is aware of that. And I think they've got some really good proposals, this legislative session to try to improve the quality of life for people in education, our teachers in particular. And I really hope that that's going to work. I, I still think that uh, out there, there are a lot of people who really want to make a difference with their lives. And, um, and education is still a place where you can make a huge difference in the lives of others. And I think that's the message we want to keep sending out is this is still a good job. It is a good profession. It's a profession where you can really make a difference if that's something that you would like to do with your life. So I think we've got to remarket um, education and, and be putting out the really positive things. And there are many about uh, working in public schools. So we mentioned at the top of the episode how in mid-January, the governor announced this new substitute teaching program that's supposed to accelerate the applications to get state employees and National Guard members into substitute teaching roles. By the end of January, the state had received more than 500 applications for substitutes. Uh, 266 were issued that by the end of January numerous people waiting on background checks. Most of the National Guardsmen, as Dr. Visu Cleveland had mentioned in our interview, they were sent out to places like Grants, Las Cruces, Artesia, Taos, a lot of other rural communities out further away from the metro area. But the program is catching a lot of traction, a lot of applicants from the National Guard and state employees. Thanks again to Rio Rancho School Superintendent Dr. Sue Cleveland, as well as Mariah Affentranger for their time today. Certainly an illuminating conversation. We'll have another episode for you all next week. In the meantime, feel free to reach out. I'm Gabrielle.Burkhart at krqe.com and gburknm on Twitter. And you can check out our website that has all the information about this episode and also a lot of the other ones at krqe.com slash podcasts. We appreciate as well, whatever pod player you're using, leave us a review. Apple Podcasts seems to be a popular one for you guys out there. If you want to reach me, I'm at chris.mckee at krqe.com. That's the email. And then also Twitter is at chrismckee.tv. Thanks for listening.